Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. For their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. They have noses, but cannot smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. And so do all who trust in them. So, O Israel, trust in the Lord, for he is your hope and your shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord, for he is your help and your shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord, for he is our help and our shield. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. For the dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we, we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Brother God, tonight um, we have an opportunity to hear a story which is quite familiar to all of us. In some way or another, we've heard those words, Good Samaritan. And yet, God, I I pray tonight that um, just like this passage says, that when we look to you and we put our hope in you, we have eyes to see and ears to hear. And so tonight, God, as we hear what you have for us, may may we be awakened to the truth of what you really want us to see and hear from this passage. We pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, hey, if you would indulge me for a minute, I'd love to do an experiment, well, not an experiment, because an experiment would, I'd have to test that, and I know the outcome of this, so exercise, would you indulge me with an exercise? Now, it's going to take some of you kind of like engaging with each other a little bit, is that all right? That was like maybe 10 of you. (laughs) Um, Hey, hey, Robert, can we get the lights up, Just just the hair there? So... I've done this before, and um, I want us to, my concern is this, um, just as I just prayed, and, and I, I say this to myself as much as to you, is we, we are within a great church, amen? And, and, I, and I don't mean, obviously, worldwide, God is doing amazing work through his people, but I mean on this hill, God has, has put us in a place where there is solid Bible truth being taught on a weekly basis. And uh, my fear is, though, I think the danger is, is because we're so used to good Bible, we can also become like the man that James talks about, um, where we look in the mirror and then we walk away and forget exa- immediately what we look like. And so tonight, um, just because my concern is, is that because we've heard this so often, and a lot of us have even heard the context behind the whole Good Samaritan thing, that I want to help by just putting some proper lenses on our eyes that I think that the Bible from beginning to end, what God is really saying through this whole scripture, and so in a very simple way, just want to go through this exercise. exercise is that all right? Yes? Okay, cool. So I want you to just close your eyes for a minute because I get nervous up on this stage and I don't want you to look at me. <laughs> before I say this, with eyes closed, before I say this, um, for those who do not yet maybe follow Jesus, who are seeking in this room tonight, and I know there's, there's probably many of you, and, and I, I welcome your presence among us. And um, I want to be clear from the outset that this passage tonight what I don't want you to walk away from is, 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 
that by the works that we do and don't do determine our salvation. It's the work that Christ did on the cross that determines our salvation. And so for you coming into this room tonight and hearing a passage about the Good Samaritan, I don't want you to think that the way to reap eternal life is simply by just doing compassionate deeds, although that is part of the kingdom work. It is grace that God has bestowed on us through faith, just simply trusting in what Christ did that gives us salvation once and for all. If you are a seeker tonight, I invite you to be part of this journey as we kind of just talk specifically to this community about what it means and what it looks like to be that good Samaritan. So in this exercise, eyes closed, um, I want you to picture us as a full community that we know for sure that God has called us to a cross-cultural context. Let's pretend for, for, for the sake of this exercise. What would he have us do? What would our lives look like to prepare for us? It doesn't matter where we go. Like, it doesn't matter. It could be any continent. It could be Africa. It could be Europe. It could be Asia. It could be South America. It could be Australia. Probably not Antarctica. What would our lives look like in order for us to prepare to go to that cross-cultural context? And what I'm going to have you do is just for 30 seconds to a minute, just turn to the neighbor next to you, maybe two or three of you gather together, and just... Just think, think out loud. What, what, would, what would our lives look like in order to prepare for that cross-cultural context? Really quickly, just next to your neighbor, what would it look like? All right, really quickly, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull a lot of you really out of your comfort zone. Just, just yell out a couple of those, just people who are the extroverts in the room. Just what did you talk about? Vaccine. What's that? Vaccines. Vaccines, nice. <laughs> that was very practical. What else? Love. Love? What, do we, what do you mean by that? Preparing for that by just going, am I really going to go in love? Yeah. Learning, learning a new language, yeah, most definitely. Prayer. Prayer, most definitely. One more, one more. Faith. Faith and trust. Quit our jobs, we'd have to, right? Yeah. That sounds like a great idea for a lot of you, probably. Um, first time I did this exercise, uh, we talked a lot of, a lot of these things came up. We said, hey, you know what, if we're, gonna, if we're all as a big group of people going to go to a cross-cultural context, like, obviously, we're probably going to sell things we don't need. We're probably going to be praying and worshiping a lot. We're going to be fellowshipping a lot together. We're going to be studying the culture that we're going to because it's different than our own. And so we want to understand the language and we want to understand um, how they operate. The beautiful things that God intends for us to learn from that culture, we'll learn from them and not try to change it into sort of a Western culture and yet at the same time understand their culture so we can bring the context, the gospel within their context. Um, These are sort of things that we talked about. Now, secondly, close your eyes again. One more time. One more exercise. Now picture that we get on the plane, the room this size is probably going to be one and a half planes, and we fly over to this new context. Again, doesn't matter exactly where, just different. What would our lives look like 
once we were there. And again, just 30 seconds, just talk to the same person next to you. What would our lives look like once we got there? All right, maybe just two people. Just raise your hand, two people. I'll call on you, and uh, you just tell me. Yeah. That's like a student, constantly learning. I love that. Lost? Lo- completely lost. Yeah, maybe you probably need to use Google Maps. <laughs> okay, maybe one more, one more. We'd be, yeah, we'd be living differently. Um, when we did this, the last time I did this exercise, we talked about the same thing. Well, I mean, we'd be praying and worshiping more, and we wouldn't buy things we didn't need, even if they're good things, because we know we were out here on this mission, and so we're, we're doing this thing. And then one person specifically sort of like dropped the bomb in the room for us. He said, I feel like two things would be different. One, we would have more clarity of purpose, and we would be more bold in our witness. And I said, why? And they said, because we realized we weren't, we're not home. The only reason why we're here is because of the mission. To, we're only here because of the message of the gospel. So I feel like we'd be a little bit more bold in our witness and a little more clear in our purpose if we had that understanding. And then I simply just asked the question, what's the difference? Because this book right here says we're not home. That we're children of a kingdom. And it's not an earthly kingdom and yet will reign and it's unshakable and it will last forever. And we are invited into that kingdom freely. It's not by the works that we've done. It's by the works of God alone. And we simply just reach out for his loving hand and grab hold. And he invites us into this kingdom. And he says, I invited you not to just sit around. To abide in me. Because there's fruit to be born through you. And so tonight as we unpack this passage, I want you to wear those lenses. I want you to put that lens on. That from the beginning to end of this book, there is one mission that God is on. And it's for his created people to share in his love, to share and understand his glory. And from the first moment he began to create until the present moment here, he still has the same mission for every people, of every tribe and every tongue and every nation to come to know him and to be part of his reconciling work in this world. That's the lens I want us to put on tonight. And it's not completely 100% the whole picture, but it's a very clear picture. And a picture that we find ourselves in when we look at this passage. So if you've got your Bibles tonight, meet me in Luke 10, verse 25. Before we go there, as you guys are turning your pages, I just want to kind of back up a little bit and give you the context of what, uh, what's going on. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And um, he's, he's sort of, every verse is sort of saying like, he's, he's sort of saying a command or the absence of a people fulfilling a command and, the, or and an obedience or the absence of obedience. And he's on his way to Jerusalem. And um, 
on his way to Jerusalem, he passes, he, he's about to pass through a Samaritan village, and everybody knows the context. A lot of, most of you probably know the context of Samaritans, and the Jews did not have a friendly relationship. If we were to compare it to today's sort of uh, understanding, it would be very, very similar in a lot of ways, and very different in a lot of ways too, but to the Palestinian-Israeli conflict that's facing, that they're facing right now. So it's a very different, very similar context in that sense. So Jesus, we knew that the Jews would always try to go around Samaria. They were considered half-breeds. They, they only followed the first uh, five, five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And um, so they kind of viewed them as like the other. There's a very huge hatred between the two of them. And so Jesus, instead of going around Samaria, decides to go through Samaria. And he's done this before. And on his way through, he, call, he tells his disciples, hey, go out before me and prepare a place in this little village. And as, as they go into this village, um, the Samaritans find out that they're on their way to Jerusalem, and they reject him. They say, you're not welcome here. And James and John, um, in the fiery, fiery way that they do this, in verse 54 of chapter 9, chapter 9, they said, and when the disciples James and John saw how they sort of rejected them, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And Jesus turns and rebukes them. And they went on to another village. Jesus begins to talk about the cost of following him. And he said, the kingdom is now, the kingdom is now. And then he sends out 72. He sends out 72 and they, hey, if you're welcomed in the home, stay there and preach. If you're not welcomed, just wipe the dust off your feet. And then he goes on to this little thing where he calls out the Jewish towns who have become, instead of inclusive, instead of a community that blesses because they are blessed, they began to become a community that said, I am blessed, period. I am chosen, and we are superior to the rest of the world. But if you look back at Genesis 15, when God first gives the covenant to Abraham, he says, you'll be the father of many nations, and I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. So Jesus finds himself within a community of, uh, um, in, uh, of the Israelites at this time where they've become this very exclusive community. Not reaching out, not inviting in, just sort of closed off. And, and, he, and he starts, begins to say, woe to you, Shorazan, woe to you, Bethesda, Bethesda, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, then they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. You think of Jonah. Jonah goes to Nineveh, first he runs, and then he goes, and then when he gets to Nineveh, he preaches repentance, and they repent, and he's upset. This is sort of the mentality that, that Jesus is facing at the time. Why is he upset? Because they're Ninevites. They're violent, and they're idol worshipers, and yet you tell me to go re- tell them to repent, and then they do repent, and you show mercy on them and don't destroy their city. Sort of this angsty, like we're special and nobody else is. The 72 return, and then Jesus rejoices, and he says in verse 21 of chapter 10, in the same hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit, and he said, I thank you. And they picture this, like he's rejoicing with his disciples, but he's also, um, there's, there's a crowd gathering, because you can see from chapter, tw- uh, where am I, page 20, chapter 10. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father or who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to his disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and do not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. 
So he's sort of privately in these, and then it says, and behold, a lawyer stood up, put Jesus to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So you got to picture this scene, 72, he's celebrating, he's saying, this is amazing, and then he goes privately to disciples, he says, like, man, so many people have desired to see what you see and hear what you see. Blessed are you. And then the lawyer stands up. We pick it up in verse 21. He says, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you interpret it? There's sort of this, um, Jesus could have very easily answered him there. And this is the second time you see in the Gospels that this question is asked. The, the, the other time is uh, the rich young ruler. What must I do to inherit, interpret, uh, inherit eternal life? So again here it says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says to him, what is it written in the law? You're, you're the lawyer. You're the, the teacher of the law. What, how do you interpret it? And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. He's quoting the Shema, which is Deuteronomy 6.5. And he says, and love your neighbor as yourself, which is Leviticus 19.18. And Jesus said, sort of, you, you can almost sense the sort of like, okay, you answer correctly, do this and you will live. You know that he's actually answered correctly because other, other, other where in the Gospels, it said, someone asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So there's, there's some clear understanding from this teacher of the law. And Jesus says to them, you've answered correctly, do this and you'll live. But Jesus knows, he knows that no one can really truly fulfill this completely on their own. And he knows within the context that this lawyer is living within that there's a lot of hatred because you've got the Romans who are oppressing and oppressing and overrunning and ruling and changing things. And so it's hard to sort of be in this culture. And so they've created these, these greater, greater laws and greater laws, greater laws to protect themselves and from the Gentile and to protect themselves from themselves and all these things. And then you've got, of course, the Samaritans, which is like outside. And so it says here, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? The key word there is desiring to justify himself, self-justification, because he knows, look, I can love my own kind, but who are you actually saying my neighbor is? Because the Romans are my neighbor. They're the oppressors. The Samaritans aren't my neighbors because we're supposed to hate them. Who is my neighbor? And the question for you tonight is, who is your neighbor? Fill in that blank. Is it easy to fill that blank in? If you can't fill it in with anybody, listen to the story. Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now Jesus doesn't say who this man was, just says a man. And he was stripped and beaten and left half dead, which means it's very hard and clearly to see what person, what nationality, sort of what ranking in society he might be because he was stripped of his clothes and half dead and beaten. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now the priest is leaving Jerusalem down to Jericho, to Jericho, so chances are he's 
just done his priestly duties, one to two weeks, usually a year, they go up to Jerusalem and they do their duties within the temple and then they come home and a lot of times many of the, many of the priests would live within that Jericho region. So he's coming home from his priestly duties and he sees this man on the side of the road beaten and does not know who he is. He just knows that he's half dead, stripped and beaten and he passes by. And you can read this and you can go, oh, I would never do that. Never do that. And yet you know that the priest is coming home from his priestly duties, which means he's coming home from worshiping. And as he's walking along this road, he sees this man, and I can just imagine, what was he doing on the road by himself anyways? I'm on the road by myself. I better get out of here. I don't know who this guy is. What if he's dead? Then I've got to go back to Jerusalem and go through the ceremonial cleansing rites because I'm a priest and I touched a dead body. I, I, I don't have time for this. And besides, I'm a priest. I don't have to prove myself to anybody. I'm already someone of importance. No one's around. I can just pass by this guy. It's fine. Or maybe sincerely, I gotta get home. Look, my family's more important than anything and, and I gotta get home and I'm on this road. I, maybe, if they're hi- maybe they're hiding, maybe they're waiting for me. Now quickly, the excuses for not helping someone in need, legitimate excuses begin to well up. So the priest passes by. And then secondly, you have the Levite. And the Levite is a little bit lower ranking than the priest. And usually they, were, they could do anything from being musicians in the temple to um, sort of guards for the temple. And so you've got this Levite and, and he's, been, you know, he's coming back from Jerusalem too. And he's on the road. And maybe he saw the priest, maybe he didn't. But he's walking along the road and he sees the same, he sees the same situation. Like I just finished my duties back at church. The temple, Sorry. And now I'm on my way home. I, I don't know if I have time for this. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know who is this man. Maybe he's a dirty Samaritan. I don't know. Maybe he's a Roman. What if I help him and then people think that I did something to like hurt him and they need to take me, they, I, I just, I can't, I can't. I've got too much responsibility there and I've got too much responsibility there to pass by this guy. No one's even around. Look, I'm a Levite, like I've already got importance. I don't have to prove myself to anybody. I'm, I'm, I'm out. And I love what Jesus does here and I think if we're honest, we kind of hate what Jesus does here. Because he says in verse 33, but a Samaritan. As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Not only is Jesus talking to this lawyer, but he's talking to his disciples. See, because they just went through Samaria and James and John said, call down fire because they rejected you. And he's, in a beautiful story, is calling this lawyer, his disciples, that crowd that gathered, and us to get rid of our self-righteousness, to get rid of our nationalistic pride, to get rid of our racism, And to understand that if God's love knows no bounds, our love for neighbor knows no bounds. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. So he spent time taking care of him. 
Then he set on his own animal, set him on his own animal, which means now he's walking down this rough terrain, pulling his animal and this wounded man with him, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. He sacrificed his time. He sacrificed his life. Where was he going? Didn't matter anymore. Compassion. Sacrificed his time. Brings him to an end and he takes care of him. And then it says, the next day, after a night of taking care of this man, he took, two, took out two denarii, which is about two days' salary, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now, this is so beautiful that we can't pass this up because we live in a culture where slavery is illegal. Fortunately, it still goes on every day, but in this culture, slavery was legal. So what the Samaritan could have done, spent the night taking care of him, gave the man two denarii and said, he's, he's yours, I gotta head, head on out. And we would have been like, he did so much for the man. But the beautiful thing about this is he says this, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. In a culture where slavery was legal, the Samaritan could have left him, the two denarii could have been spent up, the man could have not been better, and so he would have, either the innkeeper would have kicked him out or most likely he would have stayed within this inn until he got better and then the innkeeper would have said, now you are indebted to me so you will become my indentured servant or my slave until you pay off what you owe for staying at my inn. So the Samaritan sacrificed his time and he sacrificed his money and he said, I pay for him so that he will not become indebted to you. I will become indebted to you. We can't let that pass without sinking, let that beautiful truth sink in. Then Jesus turns to the lawyer and says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Like he could have done this. He could have said there was a Samaritan and he was beaten and stripped and left half dead and then a priest came by and said, nope, no thank you. And a Levite came by and said, nope, no thank you. And a poor Jewish man came by and said, I'll help the Samaritan. But what would have happened was the lawyer had this mentality like, yeah, well, I wouldn't have done what that guy did, but we're still superior. We're still helping out the little guy. But instead, he takes the picture the other way and he says the Samaritan was the one who acted like a neighbor. Just to sort of break down any superiority complex that you have left. And he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, couldn't even say the Samaritan. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said again, you go and do likewise. Tonight, we have two options uh, before us. One brings life. And one brings sort of mediocrity. When God, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. The beautiful thing about what Jesus says in scripture is this. If you try to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will gain it and everlasting life. When we come to Christ by grace, through faith, 
He says, I want you to experience all the joy I experience. Now that you believe, I'm inviting you to be part of a reconciling ministry, which means reconciling all men and women to me. And I feel like, I'm speaking to myself as well, that a lot of times we go, I'm chosen and dearly loved, period. And God says, you are. You're chosen and dearly loved so that you can proclaim that truth to a world who so desperately needs it. And the weapons that we use are not the weapons of the world. This is our sword, Ephesians 6 says. So to know this book inside and out, and every time the enemy tries to do something, we just pull out that sword. We have an opportunity to be a people who bring reconciling love to our world. To be the people that God called us to be, which is to be an inclusive community. A community that every single time we have a barrier between someone and us, God says, don't come to the altar, but first go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and worship together. It is a kingdom upside down. Earlier in scripture, the the guys are fighting over who will be the greatest in the kingdom. This is the beginning of chapter nine. And Jesus takes a little kid, puts it next to him and says, whoever receives this kid in my name receives me. In other words, kids in that culture, in a lot of ways in our culture today, are kind of thought of as not yet. But Jesus says, in other places, unless you become like this child, you won't get it. And we grow up as kids. Robert, do you have that picture? Let me pull that picture up. I found this the other day. I thought this was, I don't know if you can see the lights. It's a beautiful little girl. This is in um, Erbil, Iraq. This is a great Instagram to follow. She speaks more languages than anyone in the family because she plays with all the children in the street. And as we grow up, we divide and we divide and we divide, and we divide, and we, we say so-and-so is this, and so-and-so is that, and this is so-and-so, and this is so-and-so. So-and-so owes me this, or this is happening, or this p- group, group of people is hurting me in this way, and group, this group of people, and Jesus says, I know in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He's saying, will you be part of my reconciling life? Will you come to the communion table and remember my sacrifice and say that this is what the community of God is all about, is to walk with the cross, to live a different sort of means, and to say that my heart is passion, and your love, Jesus, knows no bounds, and so my love for neighbor knows no bounds. Whoever that blank, whoever's in that blank, no matter who they are, I will respond as the Samaritan in the story responded. Because every day we can come to church and we can do it all and and God is saying, yes, come, yes, come receive, come receive, come receive, come receive, come receive. He's saying, because I want you to be like David in Psalm 121, as a deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you. And yet, God is saying, I'm filling you up so that you will go out and point others to the fountain of living water. Regardless of background regardless of their circumstances and regardless of who they identify themselves with today. God's desire is to strip us of our identities and to find them in Christ Jesus because our second Adam draws us all the way back to Genesis 1.
when you are in me, my joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. So tonight as we come to this table, come is saying yes to the Lord because he said yes to you. Don't do it out of sort of like, well, he said yes to me. Do it because I, you, let me give you this clear understanding. The sovereign God of all creation who is holy and mighty and just and he reigns and he will reign forever and he loves you, you. As an individual, he loves you and he's calling you into a community so that you can proclaim that love to the rest of the world whom he loves as well. For God so loved the world that he gives only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And he's drawing men and women from around this world and from around this community. And he's saying, come to my communion table and receive because it is a free gift. And then when you walk away and join me in this covenant work that you will walk out of this door and be a reconciling instrument within our community and within our world. An instrument of love, an instrument of peace, an instrument, instrument of grace, and one who reconciles, who forgives. Remember, forgiveness is not saying it's okay. Forgiveness is saying I choose to bear the burden for what you've done. And Christ gave us the ultimate example on the cross. Now, I don't think in this story that Jesus, when he was talking to this lawyer, um, was pointing to himself necessarily. He was, had a lesson to teach this lawyer, but I know as Luke penned those verses in chapter 10, verse 25, and I know that as people read it, and I know as we're looking tonight, we can't help but see the parallels between the Samaritan and Jesus. That he bound up our wounds. That he carried our burdens. And that he bought us out of slavery. And he's saying, be part of part of that work you are my family holy dearly loved i've cleaned you up i've redeemed you and i've saved you from slavery now be part of setting the captives free amen father god as we uh, go into communion now we look to you we say thank you for your grace. We say thank you for your love. And we say that thank you that you are, by the power of your Holy Spirit, drawing all men to yourself because you and you alone are the fountain of living water. And Lord, as we remember your sacrifice and partaking together of this communion, remembering that you said, this is my body given to you. Eat in remembrance of me. And this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. Drink and be part of this work, this loving, passionate, glorious work that will bring creation back to Genesis 1 and will establish my kingdom across the face of this earth and be part of the new earth and new heavens. We love you, Lord God. We give you the glory for tonight. Lord, now do your work as we respond. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.